Well, this morning I'm going to share something with you that probably comes to a shock to no one. Uh, I enjoyed dinner time as a kid. Uh, and not, not for the reason why you might guess just by looking at me, but um, I enjoyed dinner time because I came from a family of seven. Four older brothers, two parents. And um, that time at the dinner table was the only time where we all came together without an agenda other than just to eat food. But we came together, um, we talked about our day, we talked about things that were going on uh, at that, that time and all the other areas of, of um, school and work and, and church and all the other things that, that all the other uh, uh, areas that we were involved in. Uh, and that was the only time where we got to come together and we got to talk about those things. We got to share about those things. Wisdom was shared at the table. Jokes were shared at the table. Uh, we even, on Sundays, I remember Sunday lunch, that was like um, the, the best meal time because not only did we eat the meal together, but that was the day in which my family prepared the meal together. Like we, we all had different chores and parts to uh, cook or make this dish, which we as boys did not cook or make much, but we tried to help the best we could, and, or we'd set the table, or we'd help my dad grill if it was something that was going on outside, or we, we would uh, do dishes after it was, was over, and, and I remember those times still uh, now, 20, 30, almost 30, oh my goodness, almost 30 years later, uh, I remember those times, uh, and, and they've stuck with me, and, and they're significant, uh, because um, as we, we learn from N.T. Wright, meals are a time, um, are a significant time, and what he believes a, a God-given time, uh, that we uh, share a meal, especially a festive one, uh, binds together a family, a group of friends, a, a collection of colleagues. Meals say more than we could ever put into words about who we are, about how we feel about one another, and the hopes and the joys that we share together. The meal not only feeds our bodies, uh, that seems in some way to be the least significant part of it. It says something and it does something, actually changing us so that after it, part of who we actually are is the people who have shared a meal together and all that it meant. That idea of coming around a table and sharing life and, and doing life and, and, and letting each other see what's going on in, in, in our lives um, and becoming an actual family unit, that's kind of the idea that we're taking into this series called Table Talk. Um, that when we share a meal together or we're around a table together, we're coming together, we're bringing all of our frustrations, we're bringing all of the, the baggage that we might carry around with us throughout a day, and we're coming together and, and we are approaching it as a family. And so really what we're doing throughout this series is we're talking about ways in which we can come together as a family that honors Christ in all that we do. Uh, and we don't claim to have all of the answers by any stretch of the imagination. We are all uh, facing different problems. All of our families are different. We all come from different backgrounds and, and, and walks of life. So we, we don't, we're, we're not giving specific things for you to do, but just things to consider um, that, that, uh, that we could kind of put in practice in our, in our lives. However, we would see that fit into each one of our family units here. Uh, and so I hope that throughout this series, you can grab a hold of something that you and your family can do, uh, maybe, uh, or, 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 or come up with some idea of how you and your family can become better followers of Christ together as a family. Uh, during week one, Pastor Chip shared with us that uh, the, the, the Bible does lay out some roles for each part of the family. Fathers are, or husbands are to love, wives are to respect, kids are to obey, 
and fathers are to not frustrate. We talked about that the first week. That is kind of the, uh, if, if we're using the table analogy, that's the centerpiece. That's the foundation of, of everything that we talk about. Uh, there's not really great examples of families in the Bible that, that um, you know, that, that live up to these things well. And so um, when we see the person of Jesus, uh, some of the New Testament writers, including Paul, decided, you know what, we can approach the family dynamic with the way that we see uh, Jesus live and operate and work in the world. And so uh, that's, what we, that's what we talked about week one. Week two, we talked about conflict. Every family faces conflict. Um, and, and every family faces conflict in a different way. There's different personalities, different things that happen. But there are things that we can do to help us um, resolve the conflict. Um, because peace isn't the absence of conflict. It's the resolution of conflict. And so we talked about that last week. Uh, and we, we finished by... Uh, by uh, pointing out the fact that each one of us are responsible for our conflict uh, because uh, really conflict boils down to us not getting what we want. We always, we always tend to put the blame on somebody else, but really it's us not getting what we want. So that's what we talked about so far up until this point. So if you're just joining us uh, this week, you're kind of somewhat caught up. Today I'm going to talk about something that's uh, difficult for me to talk about because I don't really feel like I do a good job at this. Um, and that's managing time. And managing time as a family. Um, maybe at no other point in history right now are we facing more, um, uh, more uh, things that encroach on our family time. Uh, there's all kinds of things. Work, school, sports, uh, other extracurricular activities like band and choir. And, and there's... Um, uh, extra maybe second jobs and, and, and activities that we do here at church and different things that pull us in so many different directions that as a family, if we're not careful, we can wind up at the end of a week saying, I don't even know how we got here, right? And, and every family, I would, I would say every family, if we're all honest, face time management issues. Either there's not enough or we didn't spend it right, correct? And so uh, I, I did a little bit of research to see if uh, I could back this up just a little bit. And I found some statistics I'm just going to share with you this morning. Uh, the average work week in America has gone from 40 hours to between 47 and 60 hours in the last 20 years. 60% of two-parent households have both spouses working out of necessity. 53% of all working parents with children under the age of 18 say that it is difficult for them to balance jobs and family. Married parents, on average, spend more time at work than unmarried parents. Uh, on, on top of those kind of work-related things, we, we read this. On top of uh, uh, those, we watch 35 to 49 hours of TV per week. According to a study by the University of Michigan, high school students spend about an average of eight hours more per week on academics alone, not including uh, extracurricular activities, uh, than they did 20 years ago. Sports have become a year-round thing for children who are playing a sport for at least the second year. And uh, I found this interesting. This kind of plays into some of that, the, the idea of sports taking up our time. During the Mac Brown era at the University of Texas, they offered a scholarship to a seventh grader that had time restrictions and, and uh, things that this, this player would have to do all the way throughout college until uh, he arrived at college. Um, and, I'll, and I'll wrap all this up by, by this last stat, which is kind of, kind of crazy. Finally, a survey of 2,000 families done in Universal Studios in Orlando, Florida showed 
that families spend on average less than 30 minutes of quality time together each week. I think if we're all honest, we say we have a time issue. Um, an author that I uh, read about this week kind of used this illustration to kind of talk about this, this time issue that we have. He said this, Let us suppose that a 500-car train were bound for a needy third-world country or village, loaded with medicine, automobiles, libraries, food, recreational equipment, and a good supply of money. Scattered randomly among the 500 cars, however, were 50 cars that contained deadly viruses, pollutants, poisonous gases, illicit drugs, and nuclear weapons poised to explode, explode if jostled. That is, the way, that is the way it is with modern progress. Some very good things have come our way, but unexpected problems have gotten into the mix, and among them is our problem with time. Um, so, so we have this issue with time, and we're, we're talking in this series about how our families can become better families that follow Christ. Uh, and so in order to do this, I, I really do feel like we as a family unit, we have to get control of our time. And this is not just a family issue. Each individual in the family has to face this, has to face this question uh, because, uh, as Andy Stanley put it, uh, we don't have any family problems. What we have are individual problems that come together as a family to form family problems. And so when uh, one of us in the family have a time issue, the family has a time issue. And if one of the family members is overstretched, struggling, um, trying to find solutions to make more time or, um, or poorly using the time that they have, then the whole family suffers for it. And so I'm I, looking at that, looking at all of the different things that pull and tug for our attention, uh, I, I wonder how we, how we um, arrive as a family unit to making better time management choices and, and allowing our, our family time uh, to represent Christ. And so in doing so this week, I, I want us to look at Deuteronomy chapter 6 and verses 4 through 12. Um, here in, in this passage, we, we're hearing Moses talking to the people of Israel about getting ready to move into the promised land. I'm going to read it for us uh, and then talk a little bit more about it. It starts out by saying, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. When the Lord your God brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give you a land with large, flourishing cities you did not build, houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide, wells that you did not dig, and vineyards and olive groves that you did not plant. Then, when you eat and are satisfied, be careful that you do not forget the Lord, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In this passage, we hear Moses getting these, the people of Israel ready. They're ready to move out of the desert, out of this, out of this time in which they are um, fully relying on God for everything that they have. They're eating manna. Uh, they're living in the wilderness, and God's providing water out of rocks. And he's, and he's doing all of these things to care for the people and the people really don't have all of the all of that many things tying or uh, vying for their attention 
and their time and their focus. Uh, they're, they're literally just sitting and waiting to move into the promised land. And so as Moses is getting them ready, uh, God talks with Moses and, and, and shares with him the need for the people to be ready for life to change. And so uh, it, it's kind of actually easier to look at this passage if we read verses 10 through 12 first and then look at verses 4 through 9. Uh, in, in, in 10 through 12, Moses is saying, hey, you guys are about ready to get busy. You're about to inherit all of these different things that you uh, didn't, didn't ask for, didn't work for. Didn't, it's all of a sudden, you didn't have it before and you're going to have it now. You're going to have new houses. You're going to have um, fields to plant and to harvest. You're going to have um, chores and, and things to take care of. You're gonna, there's going to be more livestock and there's going to be more resources. There's going to be more things that are going to vie for your attention and going to pull you in different directions. Uh, but he's saying to them, as he wraps that section up, don't forget who it was that gave it to you. Uh, so if you look at that first and then go back to verses 4 through 9, uh, Moses is saying, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and strength. Make sure that your family knows about him. Talk about it to your kids as they go throughout their day. Make sure you have reminders set up to do so. Basically, Moses is saying, you're going to get busy. But guess what? God wants to weave himself into that busyness. Uh, God is giving that stuff to you. It's not bad things. The, the things that vie for our attention are not bad in and of themselves. Jobs that provide for our families are not bad. Um, sports that teach good lessons to children are not bad. School definitely is not bad. Um, extra leisure activities that we get to do throughout our days and weeks are not bad things at all. But what Moses is telling the people of Israel and what I think is important for us to, to understand as we talk about our time is that God wants to weave himself in and be a part of all of those different things that we do throughout our day, our schedule, uh, our calendars. God wants to be a part of it. And if we ever leave God out, if we were to continue reading here in Deuteronomy, it talks about the fact that God is jealous. God wants to be the Lord over our entire lives, which includes our schedule. And when we replace him with other things, God is jealous because he wants to be the Lord. He wants to be the provider of our, of our lives, just like he was in the desert with the Israelites where he provided their food. He provided all of those things for them. When we get tied and we get pulled in different directions, we start to think that we provide for ourselves. And God wants us to know that through everything that we do, through our time, through our schedule, he wants to be the Lord over everything that we do. Uh, and so this morning, um, I've, got, I've got things I've listed on the slides as steps. I really don't like the word steps because that kind of implies that it's got to go in order. And if this really doesn't. These are just kind of things to consider as we try to regain our schedules and, and make them something that resembles a Christ-following family. So I, just, I, want, I want you to think about these things. Also, again, I want to iterate. I do not have the answers to this one bit whatsoever. I am um, the chief amongst sinners in time management issues. So please understand that I'm not sharing this to you to make you feel bad about your current situation or anything like that. Um, but there are things that, um, as, I, as I've read through Scripture and read uh, in uh, some professionals who deal with time management on a regular basis, these are things that they are saying that is helpful for us. So first... We must take control of our schedule. Bill Heibel says this, Often, when people describe their too busy lives, they make it sound as if overscheduling happened to them unwittingly. 
like they had no choice in the matter. It's not my fault. It's my boss's fault. It's my family's fault. It's my teammates' fault. They truly believe that they are mere victims of the very, uh, very responsibilities and commitments that they have said yes to. Newsflash. You are the boss of your schedule. It's your responsibility to keep command of your calendar. And you must in order to simplify your life. Many people I know are doing the best they can to control the mayhem. Yet despite their valiant efforts, their lives show little change. No doubt you too have tried to simplify your overscheduled life. You bought the new planner. You installed the new calendar app on your phone. You attended a time management class or listened to an audiobook about being more organized. You even managed to sync your work calendar with your home calendar, trying to corral everything into one system, hoping this would solve the problem. But reshuffling the same deck of cards will faithfully deal you the same too busy hand. It's important for us to understand that our schedule is ours. We set it. We, there are things that are important that we do throughout our day um, that would have grave consequences if we were not to do them. However, we still make the choice to do those things. And when we make the choice to do those things, we actually prioritize our life and we show what we value. Uh, and so it's important for us to realize as we schedule things, as we go through our calendars, as we make our day, that we are actually in control of everything that we're doing. Uh, and so when we overschedule ourselves, we are doing it to ourselves and we have the ability to not do it to ourselves. Um, there's a... Uh, I lost it. Uh, here it is. Matthew 6.33 says, But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. When we try to weave God into our schedules, into our time, uh, and we, we start by like saying, Well, you know, I've got to work here, and I've got to do this, and I've got to do this, and I've got to take the kids here, and we've got to do this here. Um, so maybe I might have some time or we might have some time at the, as a family maybe down here to do a devotional or to pray together or to, or to, to worship together, do something together as a family. Maybe that, maybe that would be down here. What God is saying is if we seek God first and if we schedule and make our schedule around seeking God first, then God takes care of all the other things that we can't find time for. Uh, it's it's uh, kind of like the... Uh, the thing I've always heard pastors say about tithing. You know, the people that, that tithe they, they, and, and start tithing, they always struggle with like, oh, you know, I barely have, I'm barely making ends meet here. So if I start to tithe and I start to give more money to a different area, how, how am I going to make it? Uh, and then they, as they go along, they find out that all of a sudden, by giving to God first, their resources stretch further than they can imagine. And nobody can really explain how it's just kind of a cool God thing that happens. Time is the same thing. If we start by giving God our time, maybe that's praying together as a family, maybe that's uh, as the day starts, maybe that's um, uh, finding some way as a family, maybe it's in a car on the way to school, maybe it's doing something as a family to seek God first, then all of the other things that we think we don't have time for, God still says, um, all these things will be given to you as well. It's not, it's not going to take away from the things that you have to do or require to do or, or uh, want to do. God wants you to, to have those things. Again, those things are not bad things in and of themselves. 
But if we seek those things first and then go to God, things seem out of whack. But it's funny how when we start with God, we seek God first in our schedule, in our calendar, in our lives, that everything else tends to then work itself out. We find time to do those things. There's still time to do those things. And God is first. Each family has to make the call on how that looks. Like I've said, each family looks different. Each family operates different. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not telling or giving you specific things to try to do, but think through your schedule. How can you make God first in your schedule as a family and as an individual? Psychologist Mary Pfeiffer uh, counseled a couple who were living in a hectic lifestyle, and this is what she said. Both husband and wife worked long hours trying to make ends meet. They felt they had no time for personal interests for each other or for the three-year-old twins that they had. They anguished over the fact that it was the daycare providers who saw their boys' first steps and heard their first words, and that they were now reporting problems in behavior. This couple felt they had essentially fallen out of love, and that the wife also felt torn apart by her unfulfilled desire to help her mother who was ill with cancer. They seemed trapped in and appeared to them uh, in what appeared to them to be an impossible situation. But through counseling, they were able to make some changes that created a dramatic difference in their lives. They began setting aside Sunday nights to spend with family and paying attention to each other, giving back rubs and expressing words of affection. The husband told his employers he would no longer be able to work on Saturdays. The wife eventually quit her job and stayed at home with the boys. They asked her mother to move in with them, pooling their financial resources and providing a built-in storyteller for the boys. They cut back in many areas. The husband carpooled to work. They quit buying uh, excessive or expensive things. They stopped eating out, and as Mary Pfeiffer said, the family had made some hard choices. Uh, they had realized that they could have more time or more money, but not both. So they chose time. And that choice made a profound difference in the quality of their personal and family lives. They were happier. They were more fulfilled, less stressed, and more in love. Of course, this may not be the situation or solution for every family that's facing hassle and is out of sync. But the point is that there are options, there are choices. You can consider cutting back, simplifying your lifestyle, changing jobs, shifting from full-time to part-time work, cutting commu uh, commuting time, having fewer and longer workdays, or working closer to home, participating in job sharing, or creating a virtual office in your home. The bottom line is that there is no need to be held hostage by these lies if family is really your top priority. And making the family priority will push you into a creative exploration of possible alternatives. And that's an example from um, the contemporary world. But if we were trying to make our families more, uh, more Christ-like in the way we operate, we have to make it a priority. And if it is the priority, if it's the first priority, then things will present themselves to you that can be reshifted or adjusted or, or you, maybe things that you can add into your schedule to make that happen. It has to be a priority. Uh, it, it, nothing happens easily or by chance. Uh, if we want to become families that try to follow Christ to the best of our ability, uh, then it's going to start with us making possibly some hard choices or, or um, adjusting things that vie for our attention and our time and our energy so that we can put God first. We can have, allow him to weave himself into our lives uh, and change our families. The next step is to be intentional. Uh, Bill Hybels also says this, My schedule is far less about what I want to get done and far more about what I want to become. 
Our schedule says something about us. I said it uh, just a little bit ago that our schedule shows us what we value. Uh, just as if following expenses, uh, we've probably heard this, that if we, we want to know uh, what we value, we can look at our checkbook. Um, we can also know what we value when we look at our calendar and our planners. The things that we do throughout our day show us what we value. And if there's a lot of time spent in um, work-related activities, if there's a lot of time spent in extracurricular activities, if there's a lot of time spent in leisure activities or hobbies, and there's not very much time spent in family or not very much time spent in worshiping God, then it shows us, unfortunately, what we value. And again, God wants to be first. And when we allow God to be first, when we make the hard uh, decisions, when we are intentional about putting God first, the other things work themselves out. But when we don't, our world becomes chaotic. Um, ask yourself this question. What would my schedule look like if God were in charge of it? Ephesians 5, 15 through 16 says, Be careful then how you live, not as unwise but wise, making the most out of every opportunity. One of the authors I read this week said that um, you can exchange the word life for time. When we waste time, we're really wasting life. We're wasting time that we could spend with our families, time that we could spend with God. There are things that we need to be intentional, uh, intentional about guarding against. And sometimes the things that we cut out Maybe we are just cutting it out for a season. Maybe it's something that we cut out for a while. Maybe it's something that we cut out forever. Um, it depends on your own situation. But we have to be intentional about our schedule, about allowing God to weave himself into it. Uh, because it does say far more about who we want to be and who we are rather than what we want to get done. Step three is possibly the first ever time management um, uh, direction that we receive from God in Scripture. And it comes from Genesis 2, verse 2. By the seventh day, God had finished from the work he had been doing. So on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it he rested from all the work of creating that had been done. And he extends on to that in Exodus 28 through 11. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day, uh, but the seventh day is the Sabbath day to the Lord your God. On it you shall, do, you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that was in them, but he rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. We were not designed to go nonstop. And so much so that God in the very beginning of everything, even though God is God, even though God could continue creating and doing and, and, and being who he is all of the time without rest, God modeled rest for us because he knew that his creation, his most prized creation, human beings, could not do that. They could not go nonstop seven days a week, uh, 365 days a year. We could not continue 
moving at that pace and be able to survive. And so God put uh, a mandate of rest in there. And there's something about rest. It's not even... It's not even just the time in which we get to enjoy rest. It's actually being able to be in the midst of a busy week and to pop your head up and to be able to see the day of rest coming and knowing that, guess what? In three days, I get to take a break. In three days, I get to relax. In three days, I don't have to worry about the next thing that's coming up. When we go nonstop and we push ourselves and, and there's no breaks and, and we're scheduled to the max, that's when stress and depression and all those different things that can hit us from the internally, that's when they take over. Because we're at the end of our energy, we're at the end of our, we're at the end of our rope and we know that there's no hope in sight. But when rest is there, when the day that we've set aside or the, the time and, and there's a lot of different theories on a Sabbath rest. The thing is, we, as long as we schedule it and we put it somewhere and we honor it and we keep it, then we all receive a Sabbath rest. Uh, we had a professor in college who would have us do it um, on our Thursday class day. He would meet with us for 30 minutes and he would give us 30 minutes to just walk around the campus and take a rest from homework take a rest from all the different things that we had to do, jobs, you know, he gave us 30 or 45 minutes, however, however long we had left. Uh, we would have that to kind of just take a break, chill out. We could go for a walk. We could go to the coffee shop. We could do all this other thing um, that instead of what our schedule had mandated us to do. We need to take a rest and our families need to rest together. Part of the appeal of the dinner table, I think, is that it is in some way, shape, or form a rest. Now, sometimes for the parent that cooks the meal and provides the meal, it's not quite always the rest that we're looking for, but there's times where our family would sit around a table and I just know all the, all the stuff in life could just fade away for a little bit and we could talk about things and we could ask questions and... Uh, Parents and grandparents and aunts and uncles could, could spend time talking to us instead of running us here or, or there. We've got to find times to rest together as a family. Maybe that means you schedule times throughout the week. Maybe that means you take a vacation. Maybe that means that um, you, uh, you, you highlight a point of the day in which you all come together and, and ask and answer questions and just spend time together. I don't know what it looks like for your family, but I do know the important thing is You've got to rest. You've got to rest as an individual, and you've got to rest as a family. Um, and it's something that was modeled to us by the guy that made us. So it's important to do. And then finally, uh, the last thing, now I've been talking to you, the first three things on this list are kind of ways in which to help you either modify your schedule or make changes to your schedule, add something in, take something out. Uh, it's been very schedule-focused. This last thing that we're going to talk about is something that is more internally focused as a family. Things that you can do for each other to help each other's time management. And that is uh, step number four, the principle of mutual submission. Mutual submission comes from Ephesians 5.21. Now, the Ephesians chapter 5 comes under heat quite a bit from the outside world because it has the uh, what, what many from the outside world view as the most... Um, unpolitically correct statement that's in the Bible. And it talks about wives submitting, right? We all know about that. 
people that uh, attack Christianity, usually that's one of the things that they attack it with is because the Bible calls for wives to submit. Um, but the people that do that forget or look over or don't pay attention to 521. That says this, to submit to one another out of a reverence for Christ. See, those roles that I listed off uh, when I was recapping the, the first Sunday that we, we visited this subject, uh, husbands love, wives respect, children obey, uh, fathers don't irritate. Those all stem out of verse 21, and that is submitting to each other. When families submit to each other, uh, a, a lot of things can happen. First off, we're saying that I am going to rev, uh, um, leverage my time, my energy, my abilities for the good of the family. So instead of maybe getting the opportunity to be able to go out and play golf on a Saturday, maybe it'd be better use of my time, and I'm going to leverage that time to spend, to take the family to the zoo, or to do whatever, you can, you can enter whatever those, those situations are uh, for your own particular family. But when we submit to one another, we're leveraging our time and our energy for the good of others, for the good of our family. Um, there's a question that goes along with doing this. And the question is, how can I help? I, I see I have students uh, that are out here in the audience today. So students, I'm going to tell you something. If you ask, if you ask your parents, uh, unprompted, even though they hear me saying it right now, if you go home this afternoon, you ask your parents genuinely, how can I help? The first thing that you'll have to do is you will have to help them up off the floor, okay? <laughs> when we look out for the needs and the interests of the others in the family, everybody gets taken care of. Everybody gets taken care of. And all of a sudden, our stretch time, our stretch schedules, our full calendar of things to do, um, when we have multiple people helping and working uh, for the good of the family, all of a sudden those activities uh, don't take as much time. All of a sudden those activities accomplish more than what just the activity itself was meant to accomplish. Uh, when you get to have family time on your way to something instead of just one parent making a mad dash rush to practice at 6 p.m. Or, or whatever the case may be, um, when we mutually submit our time and, and we take away maybe something that we could be doing for the good of someone else, we are following the principle of mutual submission and our families are better for it. We do this uh, for many reasons, but for the main reason being that Christ did this for us. Christ, at one point in time in heaven with the Father, asked the question, how can I help? And there's no recording of this conversation, but I would have to say the father responded something like, well, there's definitely a way that you can help, but you may not like it. You're going to have to go down there and you're going to have to give up all of your needs and wants and desires for the needs, wants, and desires of other people. You're going to have to play second fiddle. You have to get in line behind everybody else. And you're going to have to do this all for their benefit. And it's going to cost you your life. And Christ did it for you and for me and for everyone who's lived. We submit ourselves to others because Christ submitted himself to us. And when we ask the question, how can we help or how can I help? We are saying that, you know what? 
I'm going to place your needs, your time, your energy above my own. And that can completely change a family. It can completely change individuals. It can completely change our world and our culture. Now, we get afraid to ask this question sometimes because we're afraid that there's going to be an answer to it. I'm going to ask you, how can I help? And you're going to tell me. And all of a sudden we can think, well, we might get taken advantage of. Um, but when we say, how can I help? We're saying, I'm willing to leverage all of me for an us. And there may be times where you do get taken advantage of. But overall, it will build a family. And it will build a family in Christ-likeness. And it will allow God to weave himself into our schedules. So today as we close, I want to challenge you and your family to, uh, to check your calendars and to see what you value. I want to challenge you to ask the question, what would my schedule look like if God were in charge of it? I challenge you to find places to rest as a family and then to ask the question, how can I help? And when we find the answers to these questions, uh, our family, our time, our lives will be improved because of it. Let's pray. Dear God, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this time that we've had to come together as a, as a body of believers. And as we've focused on family and, and on uh, becoming more Christ-like as a family, dear God, I just pray that uh, the things that we've talked about today might uh, be a part of a solution, that uh, we might check our schedules and see what it values. We might rest and be rejuvenated because that's what you've modeled for us. And also that we would be mutually submissive to each other because Christ was submissive to us and our needs. And dear God, I just pray that uh, you would be with the families that are represented here in this room. Uh, that we would be able to see you being woven into the very fabrics of, of who we are as families. And that uh, the family that's, that's here that's maybe struggling this morning would find peace and comfort by allowing you to be in control of them and their schedule. Dear God, we thank you for this opportunity uh, to hear from you today, and I just pray that you'd be with all of us as we go from this place. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.